But hey guys, welcome uh, to the Men's Journal Every Day Warrior Podcast. We have one of your hosts for the Friday live sessions, which I know we've been delinquent on because uh, we've been restructuring, but we're, we're, we're going to kick them off. We're going to kick them off hardcore. We've got some good changes coming. Of course, John Wellborn, Thank you. Uh, best known for 10 years in the NFL, um, and then stood up CrossFit football, yep. which I, I you got to give us the details behind yeah. this. All right, yeah, well, it sounds weird. Um, so uh, I played my 10th year for the New England Patriots. I got hurt. And came home, had knee surgery, um, figured I'd get, you know, scoped, cleaned up, whatever was wrong, and then I'd be, you know, right back out there and go out and play my 10th year. All of a sudden, my injury, for some reason, and what was wild was a couple years before, I had a knee scope on a, on a Monday and played on a Sunday. Now, all of a sudden, I go in for my knee scope, and I think the doctor was much too aggressive on what he did. He tried to grind a bunch of bone and just do too much, and I had a ton of swelling, and I couldn't get, like, function back in my knee. So I'm like sitting on the couch. It's cold out. I'm living in uh, Orange County, Newport Beach at the time, and my knee was on this like CPM. Yeah. And um, guy, little that owned a little fitness company at the time named Greg Glassman, called me and asked me if I would come and work with them and uh, help them develop their technology on how to train athletes. He called you. So Greg Glassman is the founder of CrossFit. Yeah. How did he know to call you? Because had you already been creating yeah. a reputation within? Yeah. So uh, that year before, I had been training up at Athletes Performance. I lived in Newport Beach, and that's in Carson, up at the mm-hmm. Home Depot Center. I think it's StubHub. Or I don't know what's become now. But I used to drive up every day, and anybody that's ever done the drive on the 405 from Orange County up to Carson knows how terrible a drive. It could be 35 minutes or three hours. So I got to the point where I was a little burned out on the drive. So I'd go up there a few days a week. And then there was a gym that had bumper plates where I'd go limp and lift. That was about 45 minutes south of me. So I just kind of got burned out on looking for places to go and train. So I Googled Olympic lifting and a little CrossFit gym popped up up the road that was like two blocks. So I went in there, talked to the owner, and uh, started training there. He reached out and talked to the CrossFit people and was like, hey, this pro football players coming and training. And they showed me some of the CrossFit stuff. And uh, about that time, I, I thought I'll leave my reservations about CrossFit alone. He said, hey, if you really want to know more about it, you should go and uh, do one of their seminars. So I went up to Santa Cruz, and this is actually where I met Dave Castro and Nicole Carroll and Tosh and everybody. So I went up and did a CrossFit Level 1, having never done it. You know, So I show up in jeans and basketball shoes like – not expecting like to work out. And they're like, all of a sudden you're working out and people are like stripping down. I'm like, we're working out. I didn't know we were going to work out. I'd never done CrossFit. So um, fast forward, I start training at this CrossFit gym. The owner ends up, you know, talking to CrossFit HQ. They reached out to me and said, hey, would you do this documentary called Every Second Counts about uh, for the CrossFit Games? So I didn't know what the CrossFit Games was. And I said, uh, no, uh, I'm getting ready to go to training camp. So uh, I still hadn't been signed by a team at that point. And they kind of asked me again, and I was like, what is this thing? Like, oh, it's a bunch of workouts up in Aromas. We're going to go work out for a couple days and have some fun. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go win this thing. So I showed up to do the CrossFit Games, and they filmed a documentary. It's on Netflix called Every Second Counts. And I was 312 pounds, getting ready to go uh, play for, you know, in the back to play in the NFL. Competed for a few days in Aromas and did all the CrossFit stuff and absolutely just got hammered. I think there were 200 people, and I think I finished in, like, maybe the 70s. Yeah, that'd be your size alone. Yeah, well, dude, I was doing burpees against 135-pound men. So, I mean, obviously, there was nothing heavy. Uh, They had told me there was going to be at least a 315-pound deadlift. At the last minute, they turned it to 275 because Chris Spieler was, like, who's, like, 135 pounds. It was already double body weight, and they felt 315 was too much. So um, I do that, and then a few days later, I got a call uh, from Baltimore Ravens. I went out there and uh, tried out for them. They offered me a contract. I didn't like the numbers, so I came home. Patriots called and I went out there 
and uh, went you know all through preseason, and I ended up dinging up my knee at the last preseason game, and came home, had surgery, and as I was kind of just doing the rehab, teams were calling, and I kept telling them, I'm like, you know, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, maybe in like, you know, uh, week three, week four, I'll be better, and Greg hit me up, and said, hey, would you come and work with us, and help us develop our tech on how to train athletes, so uh, I got in the car, drove out to Arizona, uh, talked to he and his wife, kind of like, we sat around, kind of like pitched what this looked like, and they were like, you know, we should call it CrossFit football. And I was like, wow, it's a terrible name. Like, we're not going to be teaching tackling or any of the other stuff. And uh, uh, like, I'm not teaching football. And they're like, no, 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 people will get it because you played football. I'm like, it's still a terrible name. But that's what they wanted to do. So I drove home. Third days later, they said, hey, do you think, uh, like, when do you think you'd be able to put up a website and launch and have programming and everything? And I was like, well, what's an acceptable amount of time? And they were like, as soon as ASAP, I said, give me 30 days. So I went home, uh, called a guy that I knew that designed websites and said, hey, I needed uh, a website. I called my buddy Rick from Starling Gear and asked, hey, I need a logo. He sent me a logo. So I sent it to him. They put a website together, and then I went and developed programming. The problem was is I didn't know shit about strength conditioning in terms of like methodology or physiology. I just knew from what I had done to play as How a – How to execute what your yeah. trainers had given you in the past. Yeah, because I'm real yeah. good. Like just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And, uh, you know, at, at certain points I would always ask coaches like, Hey, why are we doing this? Like how does hypertrophy work in this? And I knew enough physiology cause I trained with bodybuilders and I trained and did all this, you know, training. I knew that, you know, train fast, be fast. I had uh, spoken to Louis Simmons. I'd done the West side stuff. I knew about compensatory acceleration. I mean, there were a lot of things in my training. I just never sat down and like looked at the physiology. So I started putting the program together. Uh, my wife or actually my girlfriend at the time was my wife. Now we went on vacation and for like five days, I think we went to Mexico and I brought all these books and I just sat on the beach, like drinking a pina colada and read like super training and science and practice, um, Sasquatch science and practice, uh, all of these like training manuals and sat down and I was like, okay, who am I? What do I believe in? What do I want to teach? And then 30 days later, we came back and I said, I'm ready to launch. And we launched on uh, March 31st, 2009. That first day we got 17,000 hits on the page. I got something like a thousand emails that day. Uh, from people that were curious about the program, and I responded to everyone because I just assumed that's what you do. Somebody well, sends you an email. That's what a startup yeah, you just, leader does. Yeah, you just yeah. respond to all the emails. A lot of it was outrage because CrossFit, you know, specialists are insects, and now all of a sudden there's like CrossFit football, which has a specific sport name, mm-hmm. but is really kind of a power-based power athlete, and that was even the tagline that Andy Stump came up. I, actually, I don't know if Andy came up with it, but he was, definitely liked it. Don't, which hey, was, don't give uh, him credit. Forging powerful athletes because CrossFit's was forging elite fitness. And I think when I pitched Andy, I was like, hey, we think of these taglines. He's like, forging powerful athletes will literally fucking fry Glassman's brain. He'll be so upset about it. I was like, really? Is that a good thing? He's like, yeah, no, no, Greg likes it. That's funny because Kelly Start said that uh, Andy came up with the Subba Leopard. Uh, I believe he did too. Okay. So he's got a talent for. for Uh, Well, Andy's really good about saying some ingenious things off of the cuff. I think if he puts too much mental thought behind it, it crashes and burns. But like his first reaction is usually pretty good. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, so to take it back. So we launched that first day, we get uh, all these emails and then, uh, I started putting out a program and started trying to teach people about the methodology and what I was trying to teach. Um, knowing in like knowing full well that I didn't know what I was teaching, but I had a whole bunch of ideas and I looked at it like a, phenomenal sea monkey experiment. I have the ability to push out free programming and people are going to do it. Then they're going to give me feedback. And so I got on the message boards because there was comments and people started leaving like training, like, Hey, I did this and this and this. And then people started emailing me 
And I started collecting all this data in a, like a big spreadsheet. Like, hey, when we do this and this, and then the day before the workouts would get posted, I had my own gym with my own people training, and we were testing the training programs. So I started piloting different programs with different groups in our gym. And I just would like look and I'd be like, okay, I like that. That's a good one. Or this is bad. And, you know, then we did, we tested a bunch of stuff like linear progressions and this. And I was able to use all these different like in-person groups that I was training as test groups, push it out to the world and then get thousands of data points. And then they came back to me and said, hey, you got to teach a seminar. 30 days later, we launched a seminar and I proceeded to teach 36 seminars that first year. Where every other weekend, uh, and a seminar is one day, two, two days. days. Yeah, so we were flying into all over the world, different locations, showing up on Friday, teaching, basically putting people through a training diagnostic, like legitimate, like uh, um, like a training diagnostic, like what you saw me do for the guys uh, on the Drake's Fury deal, where they come in, we figure out all the things they can and all the things they can't, all the limiting factors, and teach them to do all this stuff, and then I put them through like these diagnostics, and I was there Saturday, Sunday, fly home, and then I'd work all day. Monday through through Friday, leave Friday night and do this. And I did that 36 seminars that first year. That's a whole, I taught yeah. in nine years, we taught hundreds or like well over 350 of those. And what's wild is imagine giving away a free program and then getting the information and then traveling the world and meeting the people that did the program. And then there were people there that did the program and then people there that didn't. And then you could basically tell within minutes, within the warm up and within the first piece, the people that did our training versus the people that didn't. And I could basically set them into groups. And then I could test this and this and this. And it was like these absolute savages, these dudes that would show up that were like phenomenal killers. And I'd be like, those are our people. The other people, those aren't our people. So two two things. One, it sounds like you made the decision to retire and hang up the cleats. What Was it because of CrossFit football? You're like, hey, I think this is my next passion. Um, well, what was wild is uh, I don't really know. It, it was kind of a weird deal. Um, so my knee was still pretty banged up, mm-hmm. and I didn't know how long it would take to get better. And then all of a sudden in my 10th year, if I miss my 10th year, then all of a sudden do I, like, miss that 10th year and rehab and come back to play in my 11th year? So there was a it, – it's different today in the NFL where over the age of 30, they don't view you like you have – like uh, you're a leper. So I remember I was 29. Everybody was super cool. I turned 30, and, like, the next day people were, like, looking at me, like, sideways, like – it's just there's this weird misconception that when you hit the age of 30, you're done in the NFL. So I was like 32, and then all of a sudden I'm 33, and then, you know, like what are they going to offer me, rookie minute or uh, a minimum for an 11, 12-year vet? Like what's this thing look like? And I think I was looking at it like, okay, what does this look like? I miss it here. I come back in year 11, and then what? I got to go try out and try to make another team. It's not like, you know, you're only as good as your last game. So when I saw this opportunity present itself, I thought, man, this is pretty interesting. Maybe I'll do this for a year yeah. and see if it works. Mm-hmm. In the back of my mind, I was still going to go to law school. So I had um, – It's all in your old man's yeah. – and, and, and your brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so okay. when I uh, – I graduated in four years. I got my master's – or I didn't finish my master's, but I did my master's work in my fifth year in education. And then there was a law school scholarship at, at Bolt, which has since changed from Bolt. It's called Berkeley Law School now, mm-hmm. um, for a four-year Cal Letterman to go called the Adrian Craig and scholarship. So that's what I was kind of gunning for. So I'd taken my LSATs, but the LSATs are only good for five. I'd played 10. So I went back and I was like, okay, first thing I need to do is get my LSAT score up. I'll do that. And then I started emailing all my professors to be able to get letters of recommendation. And I started the process to go to law school, started looking at law schools. So then this hit me up and I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. Let me do this for a little bit. And I think my brother 
Uh, and I talked about it and he was like, yeah, like, I think you could do this for a year. It seems like it might be fun, travel and do some stuff. And, uh, I decided like, it, and it was actually the way Glassman pitched it to me, mm-hmm. uh, how to develop our technology on how to train athletes. Cause I'd never thought about training as a technology. And I thought that was a fascinating way to put it. So that kind of sparked me and I decided to do it. And then we did cross the football and then this thing exploded. Um, we started running a business. I did, I traveled and owned a gym and then obviously, um, gym in California. Yeah. And, uh, I was happy to get out of the gym business. I realized I always wanted the gym with weights for me to train. I always wanted a private gym. I just didn't want members (laughs) because I didn't want people to break my stuff. Like, um, I'm like, I people to sit on equipment when you need to get. Yeah. Like I, like I want nice equipment. I want to train with my friends. I don't want a whole bunch of people sitting around breaking and messing up my stuff. And like, it's not that I'm like, uh, don't like to let people play with my toys. I'm more than happy to just like take care of my stuff. And when I owned the gym, people would break shit. They would do stuff. They'd break things. They'd fuck shit up. And it like, it bothered me. Not and I just, back. I just, yeah, I just realized yeah. I wasn't, I always wanted a nice gym to train in. I just didn't want people that, that didn't like that. I, I, I always wanted to have gym members. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't want that. I wanted people to come train, but I don't want to take money because I don't want entitlement. Like people come train at the gym, but it's by invite only mm-hmm. and they have to respect, they have to clean mm-hmm. up and they're there at my discretion. So if, if you treat it like shit, you don't get invited back. As you look back, do you think you would have had any fulfillment as a lawyer yes. compared to now? You do. Oh yeah, I, I would have. Uh, you love you love to argue. You've yeah, got to get for the gap. I love to argue. Um, I love the intellectual aspect and the comp and like the combative nature. My brother's still after me. He's like, dude, we would have crushed it. So my brother's <laughs> uh, criminal defense in Orange County and is very very successful and loves his job. And uh, it's just it was uh, it was part of our deal. So um, yeah, if, if I had gone that route, I don't think I would have been unhappy, but I wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't probably be living in Texas. I wouldn't have met any of uh, the individuals that, that I yeah. know. Like I would not have met my wife. I met my wife at the gym. Um, everything, like everything in my life you see happened at that like moment to try to do CrossFit football. Your tribe would, it would definitely have not been as large. No. I mean, you would have had your family, local community, guys from the league. Yeah. But, but it would, What's, what's fascinating is that original work that I did at CrossFit football was, um, was so benevolent in many ways because it was free workouts yeah. and helping. Um, we built this level of, um, I guess you call it street cred, is the only word I can give it, where that has extended well into today. I meet people constantly. You know, We were just out doing some work with the guys out in Damnick, and uh, I ran into people that were like, dude, I followed that original website from Afghanistan. I followed that website all over the world. I did it, you know, this, and like people will tell me stories about how impactful and the quality at which they got and the results. And for that, they've always, from that moment on, they've been power athlete people. They've been in our ecosystem. They've been our friends. I mean, the amount of like one time our website got hacked, like it just literally got hacked. Like it, it didn't come up. I called my, my web guy and I was like, what? He's like, I don't know what's wrong. Uh, about 30 minutes later, my phone rings and it's just some guy. It's like, Hey, uh, is this John Walborn? I'm like, it is. He's like, uh, I follow across the football. And I can't get the workout because your website is down. And I was like, yeah, I know. We got hacked. And this guy's like, what's the workout? And I was like, uh, oh, this is what it is today. He's like, great. I'll have your website up in 30 minutes. And I was like, who is this? And he's like, I'm just telling you, you have cross the football people in a basement in Langley, Virginia. And you getting hacked is not fucking an option. And the dude hung up and our website was back on 30 minutes later. <laughs> and my, my web guy calls me. And he's like, I don't know how this thing got up, but we didn't do anything. Somebody <laughs> fixed it. And literally, like, there was some dude in some basement that followed our stuff that did not want my website to get hacked. So he called and asked for the workout. And then it was like, cool, I'm going to work out. I'll get this thing done when I get back. God, God bless the agency. And so <laughs> I was like, 
that's why I've always said we've had, we've had angels in places we've done uh, by providing good information and this. I mean, the amount of street cred we've built with people will never know that I like I one of my good friends that I played in the NFL with for a very long time. He was in the Hall of Fame. He was um, he was driving. Uh, he had a, a big van. And when they used to go out in L.A. or whatever, everybody loaded up in the van. He was driving. Uh, they were coming back, got pulled over uh, at night on the CHP on the 405. All of a sudden, you know, like he hadn't been drinking, but there was a whole bunch of people in the van that had been drinking. Like there was like potential for this thing to go up. And the guy walks up, license and registration, hands him the license plate, goes back to the car, calls it in. He's like, what the fuck's going to happen? You know, like it's, a, you know, we're in this van. There's a whole bunch of like black dudes and chicks. I mean, like, you know, like this isn't like – like shit could go south at two in the morning in LA and the guy comes back to him, hands him the license. And he was like, uh, you played with John Wellborn. He's like, you did. And he's like, give him a call for me. Uh, you know, we all follow across the football and we love him. And he handed him his license and he drove away and he called me on the phone and was like, dude, what the fuck is this that you do? I was like, we provide good information for free on cross the football. And then we moved it over into power athlete, but power athlete as a company has provided training resources for a lot of, a, a lot of people that are in really interesting places. I have no doubt we're, we're, we're going to help blow you up a little more once we start getting this content on uh, without giving away the, uh, the farm on, on men's journal, but you'll also be impacting a lot of people. Let me ask you this. So uh, Rob, what was the Olympic lifting coach that brought broke from uh, CrossFit pretty publicly? Um, oh, uh, Greg Everett. No, 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 not Greg. Everett. This guy was an Olympic lift coach, uh, sort of goatee, Rough voice. We we've mentioned him before. We used to bring him into the uh, to the command. Oh, uh, Mark Ripto. Yes, thank you. Uh, he's not an Olympic. Well, he was an Olympic lifting coach, but he's really just like a barbell power lifting kind of starting strength. Yeah. So you said you sort of you had a, a program to to CrossFit football that was periodized. It was also on an acceleration pathway. I, one of the most common critiques of CrossFit that I've heard is one you're, you're making people instructors in a day or two and they're opening up their own places is that the workouts were so random people were getting hurt. Yeah. So what I did is I virally infected and destroyed CrossFit. And I know this because uh, Greg Glassman had about a dozen drinks and went face down in his soup. And right before he went face down in the soup, he screamed, you destroyed CrossFit. You virally infected CrossFit, convincing people they needed to be strong. We were fine with them being elite before you did so your success well no what so so before cross of football people showed up and there was just one workout mm-hmm. when i programmed cross of football we programmed strength and conditioning so i took Remember a this. very uh a, you know very well thought out strength template program and mixed it with conditioning and sprinting and plyos like you would see professional athletes you can't walk into a single crossfit gym all 12 to fifteen thousand of them around the world without seeing a strength workout and a conditioning workout. So when you walk in, there's no just one workout. Before, strength was just another element of fitness. I've always believed strength is a platform at which life is built. Strong people do things better. They survive. They're more durable. Muscle. They, muscle. Yeah. You know, uh, Gabrielle Lyon, um, you know, the greatest, biggest organ we have is muscle. I've long been a proponent of being as big and muscular as you can, but being able to utilize it and be as efficient as possible. So did that relationship? Oh, Ended poorly, and that's oh, what it well, yeah, made. it's because uh, you know he basically invited you know like somebody in to his community because I was the only licensed version of CrossFit where I had my own version of CrossFit, 
you know, everybody else was like, you know, there was Olympic lifting, which was an element of CrossFit. There was running, which was an element, kettlebells, gymnastics. They were all elements of CrossFit. I was the only licensed, you know, Greg Glassman said, build your own version of CrossFit, build your own community, do your own. And I have my own method. Oh yeah. (laughs) And to the point where I remember the lawyer came to me and he's like, Hey, we have to protect the brand. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm, uh, what I'm doing is destroying your brand because your brand is functional movements performed at high intensity. My brand is not. So by having CrossFit in the name, I'm basically eroding your base, your, your, like your base concept, like what you've built, like your, the platform on which you've built the house of CrossFit, I erode that. How, how can you let me not do intentionally, this? Not intentionally, not with malintent. No, not with all. malintent. Yeah. They asked me to do it. But even I realized it. And when the lawyer came to me, I'm like, oh, I, I was amazed that you guys let me do this. And I've forever been amazed. And the lawyer like took a deep breath. He's like, you understand? I'm like, 100% I understand. How can you let me do this? <laughs> And, and then that's at which point I was, and I was like, that's why we have power athlete. So you, w- w- was there a legal process to break? Cause they, did they own the name CrossFit football? Yeah. Well, they owned anything associated with CrossFit. And so you broke and started power athlete. Well, I started power athlete about, uh, 2011, 2012, because this was super random. You're gonna love this one. I had a uh, CrossFit Balboa, which was my gym, which was CrossFit Balboa LLC. Mm-hmm. Then I CrossFit football LLC. And my accountant filed my tax returns with the same address. One was I would use my house, and then Balboa, I'd use the Balboa address. Mm-hmm. He put them as the both Balboa address. So when all of a sudden the uh, IRS looked at this, they saw two LLCs that had similar names in a similar business that were doing kind of had different revenue, kind of like different, just like different streams. So we got audited, and the lady came and visited me, which was wild. And she's like, explained to me. And I showed her like, this is our traveling seminar. Here's all the pictures on the website. Here's what we do at the gym. And I explained to her and she was like, here's the deal. Uh, if you want to avoid this trouble, you need to change the name of one of these and then make sure that the addresses aren't the same. Because when we see multiple LLCs that have similar, P, you know, this within a similar name, it just looks like, it looks shady. So I uh, sat down and we had had forging powerful athletes and Greg at that meeting where he screamed at me about uh, virally destroying CrossFit. Um, he asked me, he goes, oh, the concession, or he said, I need you to do me one thing. I need you to change the tagline across a football from forging powerful athletes to forging power athletes. And I was like, why? He's like, well, powerful implies that we're not such power athletes is a segment. That's a really good name. Mm-hmm. You should look into that. And I went home and was like, power athlete it is. That's what we're doing. We're developing power athletes. All communication stopped between you two? Yeah, we didn't have a good relationship um, because uh, whereas, you know, like Greg's a, Greg's a complex character. That's what I've heard. And he's a very complex, he's a very intelligent dude. Um, I think he's, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's, um, I think he had great intent. I don't know the that. I think the the intent was right. I think his software's messed up. Right, I'll use that word. Um, but you cannot deny his impact on this world. He has done more to put barbells in mm-hmm. people's hands mm-hmm. than any other human being on the planet. And I don't care if you talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arthur Jones, uh, pumping iron. Uh, you know, the only other thing that I think, and I'll say. The only other thing that I I believe that it was impactful getting people into gyms and getting barbells into house and they kind of hit at the exact moment was the movie 300, right? So the movie 300 hits, Jim Jones, uh, Mark Twight trains those guys. People get on, Jim Jones, Mark Twight had a relationship with CrossFit. 
they were doing very similar training styles. People all of a sudden get on. They can't go to a Jim Jones place. They Google it. They see it. CrossFit. It was like Facebook started. YouTube started. 300 hit. CrossFit was in this infancy. was in this perfect deal. It had this kind of fight club mentality where it's like, if today's your first day, you got to fight. It's a dingy kind of you go in, garage gyms, tires outside. Community, yeah. though. Community. Drive. Yep fucking diehards because, you know, there's definitely building community through shared suffering. I mean, we found that putting people through buds, right? You want to bond a bunch of guys? Hardship. Look at the Dirty yeah. Dozen. Yes. One of my favorite movies ever. Lee Marvin, if you guys haven't seen it, go watch the Dirty Dozen. Has uh, Charles Bronson, uh, Jim Brown, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, there, yeah. this generation is missing out on so many good flicks from Dude. Dirty Dozen to Cool Hand Luke that like oh. actually need to start, they need to start Dude. being played in uh, grammar school. Dude, uh, the Dirty Dozen is one of my favorite movies, and I remember like him. I remember like like the big dude Posey, and like I, I like it, it had Telly Savalas. I mean, that was one of my favorite movies. But like they put those guys. Remember they took away their hot water, and they're feeding them. And he's like, "Well, it's hot. I might have stepped in it or something." You know, I mean, there's so many great lines, but like there is something about building community through shared suffering. Yes, and it became like you know I always think with like you know religion was doing this, CrossFit did this. But on Saturdays we go work out. We go to the box. We would train. Everybody would hang out, and that was our community piece. That's an interesting point. Is I would rather have one a, a group of good-hearted, kind, respectful uh, people that on Sunday went through hardship together, yeah. than sit dressed in your yeah. best Sunday dress, uh, listening to a sermon that half the time I I'm just like, yeah. it, it's not relevant. Yeah. It's not applicable. You've lost me. I mean, on, on a Sunday, you go in and you rip your hands, you know, tear your calluses, and you're feeling the sting. And, you know, I mean, there's there's something to that. So, I, I like, we hit this thing at an amazing point. Like, I could not have, like, I, I couldn't recreate the magic in which I, I came from in this in this idea. In that, you know, CrossFit hits, CrossFit football hits, you know, all of a sudden we're in this, like, middle of this war, you know, like at this peak, and all of a sudden we've gone from, like, you know, hey, we're uh, push-ups and pull-ups, and now all of a sudden you have special operations looking for, like, more yeah. Yeah. high-end training. They're looking to strength and conditioning. Now they're just not, you know, uh, soldiers. They're these warrior athletes in this mix, and all of a sudden we have these free training programs. The military and, and the uh, law enforcement community had already kind of adopted CrossFit. Now all of a sudden here's this short, heavy, hard, fucking door-kicking version of CrossFit that comes in for with an NFL player who's, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, fairly intelligent, fairly witty, and has got a decent sense of humor and is kind of a smart ass. It just kind of worked. And then I traveled and met all these people and, like, went out and did the PR, shook all their hands, went to taught them in Norway, you know, Bodo, Norway, down to New Zealand and all around the world. And, um, and then when Power Athletes started, you know, providing more information, there was a methodology at that point. I had figured out what my technology was. You know, CrossFit's technology was, you know, fitness, increased work capacity, broad time, modal domains based off of their definition. Mine is fostering and developing athleticism. You know, I defined athleticism as the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or novel task. That definition of athleticism is really the foundation of power athlete. And what we do each day is fostering and developing athleticism because athleticism to me is the ultimate trump card. It's the ultimate front engine feet 12 Ferrari. It's, uh, uh, you know, like a pretty girl walks in the room. She, not my, she might not be my type, but everybody knows she's pretty. You know, that uh, we're talking about Doc driving around in that 911 GT2 RS. I heard that thing from a mile away and I knew exactly what it was. <laughs> all right. And I like made me excited. That is athleticism. We can watch people on NFL Sunday or in the Olympics or this do things that just fucking wow us. Yes. And it's that visual, that, that the symmetry and like the execution and the seamless and effortless way that people execute tasks that we know through our ability to see symmetry within our eyes. Like we know what athleticism is. You know, when you see it, 
And it is that's, beautiful. And it's beautiful. It is, it is, it's almost like watching a stallion just run but across the field. if you it's, understand the components of athleticism, we can break the pieces down, train all the pieces and reassemble them and make people more athletic versions of themselves. Here, here's my question. Here's my observation. I could be completely wrong, which is about 99% of the, uh, the fucking time. CrossFit may have started out as being for an elite, but it got commercialized. When, when we see dollar signs, you start to commercialize things. You make it for the masses. It seems like you've, you've not tried or don't want to take power athlete to the masses. Well, it's, right? it's not for everybody. Is it, is it not for everyone or well, I think everybody, you mean people will, aren't willing to, to commit the way you want them to commit? Well, uh, like not – like, do I believe everybody should do it? Yes. Should everybody lift weights? 100%. Should everybody eat a high-protein diet? 100%. Should everybody be able to move and run and move through space and do things? 100%. The amount of people that do is very limited. If you really wanted to be successful, you would start like a like walking Pilates yoga based upon a vegan diet. It's really easy to do. Just eat a bunch of beans and let's do some stretching. Like, uh, like what you, what you have to remember is there's not a lot of people that are willing to get up at six in the morning, go into their garage that they've parked their car on the street, fill it with, you know, six or $7,000 worth of weights, tag in or uh, tag into some, you know, power athlete app that they go to see what the workout is and be like, all right, today with John, we're going to squat heavy. Which fives. shameless plug. The, the, the workouts are totally affordable yeah. and the app is, is it's yeah. on trend rest. Uh, true. Well, yeah, at this point it's on trainer. Okay. It, I mean, the yeah. app is, is great. You, you can log your yeah. progression. You're, yeah. you're awesome app. Yeah. So we, you know, and then they log in and there's video demos and there's a community. I mean, we have, you know, team feeds and discords and we've built this amazing community virtually and to the point where people are like, Hey, this is where I'm at. Oh, I'm close to you. Come train with me. So, I mean, people show up and train and your buddies knock on the door at 6am. What are we doing? We're going to squat today. We're going to pull, we're going to do this and this and this, and then we're going to get on and do about it. There aren't a lot of people that are willing to enter that level of commitment. And you know what, at the end of the day, um, do I think everybody should 100%? Do I need everybody? No. Will do me a favor. Could you pull up, uh, type in like a Google search for like 1960s or 1950s. I think it's 1950s, uh, public school, physical education. Yeah. You know, the video I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. 100%. Uh, this, when I watch this video that he'll pull up, I swear to God, I think it's like a group of, it's like a platoon of Marines training. And these are, these are the kids in high school. Yeah. What, I mean, where do you think we went so vitally wrong where physical education Um, is now like you can opt in, you can opt out. And it seems like people are opting. Well, it's because, um, you know, they had some lawsuits here in Texas, especially where, uh, physical education was deemed to be culturally insensitive. And so they decommissioned physical education and they made it. Uh, oh, yeah, this is great. Th- this was in California. And this, this was uh, JFK, I think, right? Yeah, J- well, JFK wrote an article in 1959 called The uh, Soft American. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. It was in Sports Illustrated. 1959, he wrote this thing, Soft American. And it, it's funny how it's, it's it, the beginning of this video uh, revolves around the military service. Well, there was, um, I told you about two years ago, I, I got invited to go um, – up to Pennsylvania to the War College, and I was in a uh, little kind of collective kind of brain think deal where uh, they were talking about the largest threat to national security. And exactly. so mine was the lack of physical readiness yeah. of 16 to 18-year-olds, but also the lack of physical readiness of 26 to 35-year-olds, which if something happened, like like imagine you know there's a billion Chinese that somehow come through the border in Mexico. The calling out of the militia is 26 to 35, maybe 45-year-old dudes the lack of physical readiness of those individuals 
I viewed as almost a larger threat because they were, but then again, you think here in Texas, there's a lot of hunters mm-hmm. and like the hunting population. I mean, they had 3 million deer tags, you know, in South Carolina alone. Wait, so wait, like wait, those wait. individuals, like that's, if you were to call it the militia, those are the guys that you call oh, out. Oh, I know. And here's the thing is there's like hunting doesn't require anyone to, to, to be physically fit these days. They get on a side by side and drive uh, out and, you know, I, I, I have, you a, know where I'm going with that. I have a lot of guys that are, uh, that are start following our program because they're long range hunters. Like, Hey, I'm going to pack back in for two weeks and I got to kill this thousand pound elk and drag them out. How do oh, we do that, this? Those guys are. Oh yeah. Those, those guys are, those are the and, extreme hunters and now. We have those guys. And I write, I know you, you know, and we write training for them. And those guys, I love seeing it. I love the fact that guys are taking on impossible tasks. This, it, it was, it, and I wrote about this in the book. Um, and I'm sure you know his name, Professor Dudley Sargent, who Harvard psychologist that advocated for a sound mind in a sound body, yeah. advocating for physical uh, education within yeah. grammar and high school. Well, uh, there was a... Um, there's a direct correlation between the lack of physical fitness and mental health and, and the, well, no, but also uh, test scores. So in Texas, they have the star test. They can pretty much chart like this. When you remove the physicality, you remove physical education from schools, the star test started going down. If you want to make those tar- start or you want to make those go up, you got to have physical, like, like people think that this stuff exists in a vacuum. Like it doesn't. Like your physical fitness and your uh, a level of fitness and readiness and strength, like that allows you to be smarter and more intelligent and be able to do these things. Yeah, I mean that video right there. You you didn't see a kid, and again they could select who who went into the video, but you didn't see an overweight kid there. No, you go no. They're, well, they're they're all like they all look like they're wearing uh, uh, what are the UDT shorts? Yeah, UDT bud shorts and no t-shirts, and every one of the kids, those kids is jacked. They're climbing like sixty foot poles. Right, like that, and that was, uh, you know, JFK's whole deal had to do with, uh, and he wrote, like I said, that soft American and the presidential physical fitness test, which he kind of piloted, then he gets assassinated, and then LBJ brings it in, and I think it was originally, and then I think it was Eisenhower, if I'm messing this up, that signed it in. But um, the, like the, you know, we did that presidential physical fitness test when we were kids. Remember, it was like the breaknet was like the pull-ups were always the, always the motherfucker. And uh, but oh, I yeah. the, the flex arm hang. Always. Yeah, like the flex arm hang was was always my that's how I passed. But it was like push ups and that. Like that stuff is a real deal, man. Um, but do I uh, am I promoting like here here's the thing. Like I ha, like my my flavor has never been for everybody. I used to always joke that there's people that like me. Like like there was a old country song that was like uh um some girls don't like guys like me, but some girls do kind of a deal. Like I always liked that that line because there's type of there's a type of person that digs what I preach and what I'm pushing out. And there's a lot of people that don't. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's really easy to figure out who your tribe is. You know, like we were talking about community or tribe. Uh, Men are, I mean, the reason that men over the age of 40 kill themselves at insane rates has to do with one thing. As men age, they start becoming these curmudgeons and they start kind of becoming these lone wolves and they become, you know, overly crystallized. And, you know, they uh, all of a sudden, you know, like the neural pathways get crystallized and they get stuck in their ways. And you can almost look at a guy's haircut at about 26, 28, and his haircut never changes. And it's because that's the moment he crystallizes. And he only wants to hang out with this. And then all of a sudden, he becomes and he isolates himself. And this is why guys are so lonely. That's why you need tribes. You need something to buy into. Um, you know, uh, I, I watched something the other day where this guy's like, the reason men kill themselves is they don't have friends. They said something like seven out of 10 men do not have somebody that they could call. 
hey, like, uh, you know, here's something terrible that happened to me. My wife got cancer or this and this and this. There's seven out of 10 men that don't have anybody to call when they asked them if something terrible happened. Do you have somebody you could pick up and call and talk to about it? Seven out of 10 men said no. How sad is that? Like, I, I like at that, um, this is kind of hilarious, but uh, so my daughter got into trouble at school last year, or maybe it was two years ago. And she came home and I gave her this whole talk about like, people know you by the company you keep birds of the feather. And if you're hanging around with the wrong kids, you're going to get painted with that brush. Yes. And you are the sum of the people you're around. And we got in this whole talk. And so one of the guys that worked for me, uh, kind of an interesting dude in a lot of ways, I'm not going to name his name, but had a lot of personality flaws. And she said, she said to me, well, look how, look at the guy you're hanging out with at work. Like you hang out a lot with him and he's got a lot of personality flaws. And she said it to me and I was like a dagger in my heart. I was like, oh shit, she's right. Touche. So at that moment, what did I do? Uh, I went out like immediately and got friends. Uh, you know, I went out and that was when I reached out to Shanji, started doing, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, Matt, I reached out to Matt. Um, you know, he lived up the road from me and I was like, dude, you want to train together? So I brought him into the fold because I wanted him to teach wrestling. And like Matt's like, like best dude, older brother, had followed CrossFit football, found us in 2009, oh, shit. and lived up the road from me. And I'd never, our kids went to the same school and we weren't friends. And I like looked at him. I was like, how come we're, how come we're not good friends? You're like, one, we have kids the same age. Two, you're like light, lifelong CrossFit football guy doing it in your gym two miles away from my house. Why aren't we training? And, and you wrestle in two jujitsu. Come on. So we became friends. Uh, I started training Victor and the Six Blades guys. And so I took on that whole training thing. I mean, I started going out and doing this. I mean, agreed to come on your podcast and this. And there's met other people. I realized that, like, I didn't even intentionally do it. I just got so stuck in dealing with my wife and my kids and, and you know, the land that I manage on our property and the shop and, like, all the things within life, like, started occupying my time. And the one thing that just got removed was friendships and having, like, a tribe and a bond. And I realized, like, shit, like, I can go in my truck and weld and do all these things, but, like, I'm doing it by myself or with DJ, like – this isn't good for me and hanging out with uh, the guy that was working for me and the couple guys that work for me, like they weren't allowing any growth because I see them every day and you know, their own personality flaws were there. I'm, I'm, I'm in that space right now because one, you, you know, you started out what 2010, 2011 building your businesses. Uh, 2009, 2009. I'm there right now to where my friendships have been degrading, but I've heard this from every entrepreneur is like you included. And then it, hopefully, I'm hoping after we get some stability and repeatability yeah. that I, I can start, uh, you know, fostering those friendships again. But my communication, and you, you know this about me, my, I, like I don't communicate with anyone because I'm constantly focused on the businesses, making sure that revenue is coming in to, to put money on their, their tables. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awful. But in my DNA is structured for a tribe. But uh, you bring up Matt. That guy intrigues me yeah he's a good dude one he's he's like you wicked smart yeah um cornell yeah. and hofstra mba in in a degree of finance that guy could have easily went ufc and, and probably competed at the level uh yeah he was uh um you know legit heavyweight you know uh, obviously wrestled a power five school played football at cornell mm-hmm. um got his degree and you know went and worked on wall street you know and now he's a bond trader you know super smart but yet a complete meathead um, you know, his wife, uh, is from here in Austin. Uh, her parents, her, her dad is, um, family to some like big land baron and they have like mm. 5,000 acres up on the Sansibal river, no probably kidding. the most amazing property I've ever been to, to the point where we were driving on it. And I was like, somebody owns all this. Oh yeah. 
it's it's incredible. What do they got? So, uh, What's it stocked with? Uh, they got. I mean, they hogs. rent a ton of it out to. Uh, oh, there, there's hogs and deer and turkey, and they rent a bunch of, or lease a bunch of land out to these cattle, you yeah. know, deal. Yeah. But I mean, pretty amazing. So, uh, but yeah, um, not only uh, a great dude, um, but like has kids. His kids go to the Montessori that my kids went mm-hmm. to, and he lives mm-hmm. up the road. We train, you know, every other day at six a.m. Uh, he broke his ankle at a at a jujitsu thing. He crossed his legs, and the guy broke his ankle, but it yeah, didn't tap. Still tapped the dude out. So we've been helping him rehab that. He's just like this he happened comes, recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, or like maybe a month ago. But the hilarious is he comes like limping. I'm like, stop limping. He's like, okay, I'll stop limping. Yeah, it's just like uh, a good dude. And I've realized, um, I think a lot of people, like and, and me included, being like, how come I don't have more friends? And I always go back to what my mom said: if you want to have a friend, you have to be a friend. Mm. like waiting at home for somebody to call you to go something like they might not call, they might call, but if you call them, it's a hundred percent. Either they answer, they don't. It was kind of like we were kids. We come home, we get on our bikes. We didn't call anybody. We just rode around until we found out where all the other bikes were. And we parked our bikes and knocked on the door. And so my mom's like, why is it any different for adults? Find out, like, get <laughs> on your bike, go ride your bike around, find your friends, knock on the door and show up and be part of the group. But I think too, a lot of guys, especially when they get to this point, have a lot of ego and they want everything to be around them. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm more than happy to be somebody's plus one. Like, hey, do you want to go on this? I'm happy to be your plus one because I'm going to show up and I'm going to have a good time. And on top of it, they're going to be like, that's a good plus one. You never want to be the plus one where you're like, God damn it. Like, let's leave let, let the air out of his bike tires and we'll leave him behind. Like, you know, show up, have a smile, have a joke, be friendly. Don't be high maintenance. You know, don't be an asshole. You know, asking like, uh, I got a small bladder. I got to pull over every six minutes to take a pee. Like that type of stuff, you know, like. Like, just be like a good dude. And I think a lot of guys forget how to be dudes. Like, I grew up with older brothers. I was always the youngest. I know how to be the younger brother. I know how to keep my mouth shut. But I also know how to be funny when I need to. Your, your brother is big as you? Yeah, my older brother is a little bit taller. Do you play football? Uh-huh. Both my brothers play college football. Where? Uh, Pomona College. Pomona. So they played at the Claremont School, yeah. Division Three. Okay. So my older brother is a little bit taller. Good school. But he actually has a really big head. So I joke that his he's like a 32-inch inseam. So I'm a 36, but he's a little taller than me because he's got big head numbers. He's like fucking Dino. He doesn't fit in cars because he's got a long torso. And then my other brother has got like his torso didn't grow as much, so he's only 6'3". Do your old man play as well? No, he he uh, he played. Uh, so my dad, I think I might have told you, was super smart. Mm-hmm. So he graduated high school like 16. So he was in like he he was just super smart. And he worked. He tried to play water polo a little bit, but he graduated high school so early and he was in college. Can, can, yeah, he didn't really, yeah, well, yeah, wasn't really a deal for him. But, like, he was super excited for us to go and, and compete in sports and loved, he loved it. He just didn't – it wasn't it, – it really wasn't like his parents – like, when I asked him about it, he's like, my parents didn't necessarily encourage me or push me. Like, I shouldn't have graduated that early. They should have been like, take your time, play sports and this. But he's like, there was this idea that you got to graduate and start working and go to college and do all these things as quick as possible. And so that was kind of what he That's did. That's what he did. Which yep. is different. And he's like, I wish they told me to slow down and play sports. Have, I, have a little fun. Yeah. yeah. I want to hit uh, mobility before uh, we we get into where people can find you. Okay. Um, you you know stretching and mobility when we were growing up was just like it was forced upon you, and you always had to get in the line, and and they made it miserable. It, mobility, agility. I mean, when did that started? When did you start to take ownership over that rather than being told to do it? Like, when did that become important with age, uh, injury? Six years old. Six. So I, uh, so that's odd. My older brother was his six years older. So he was 12. He got beat up by a local bully, mm-hmm. um, and came home, told my dad straight up karate kid style. My dad took my older brother down to this like martial arts dojo, this Japanese Shotokan uh, place. Yes. Okay. So he took my brother down there and about three weeks later, he just like took me and my other brother 
and it was old school like the whole like the the whole dojo was like a wooden floor like this mm-hmm. the old japanese dude had like a bamboo boken stick they used to beat us with and we used to have to like sit on your knees in like you know basically uh like sumo sit or uh, i'm sorry we called sim samurai sit so you got to sit on your feet and you'd have to sit on this hard wooden floor and then he would do the demos and you had to like shin hop and get up and we'd do all this stuff and a big part of our thing had to do with like flexibility and i I was always fascinated by uh, flexibility and more like mobility, right? Just for the fact that like I saw people that were really flexible, but they weren't flexible under load. So I always wanted to be flexible while I was doing athletic things. Like when you watch all of a sudden somebody, you can see somebody like put their leg over their head, yeah. but then all of a sudden they kick and they can't get it there. So like being flexible wasn't necessarily a benefit. Having incredible like flexibility under load, which I think you call mobility these days, where like now all of a sudden I can kick my leg up and do this. And so we were looking to be more flexible as better movers for Shotokan, which had a lot of things called katas, yes. which is like a pre, it's kind of like a pre, like a dance almost. And we would have to work on these. So we would do all of our kicking and punching and all that stuff. But then when we would go to test for belts, you had to memorize this kata and the kata was how we got more belts. So there was like this whole kind of repetition deal. Um, I just like the punching thing. And then when I was 10, I thought kicking was dumb and I wanted to get into boxing, but there wasn't a boxing place close. I could ride my bike. So then I got, to, I went to a kickboxing place that had a ring. And then when I was 14, I ended up, uh, started to train with this, uh, boxing coach. And that was what I did through high school mm. while I was playing football. And then when I went to Cal, we trained on with the Cal boxing team in the off season. And then we did a bunch of boxing stuff in the NFL. I know for probably a lot of listeners, myself included, I never put a precedence on, on mobility or flexibility as well, a whole. It's one of those things that you don't think about until you really need, need it. it. Yeah. That's preparedness. Yeah. I mean, so like, uh, um, there, like, so, uh, like some of the injuries I've had in the NFL still, I still have those injuries. Um, I just am able to like compensate for them by having really good flexibility in other ways. Like for example, like I'm missing, like I don't have full flexion in my right knee, but you would never know cause I got great hip flexibility. And so a lot of that mobility in the hip and in the trunk and some of the other things, I'm able to cheat where people don't know. Mm-hmm. And so like people watch and they're like, oh shit, you can't bend your knee there. I'm like, no, I can't. But yeah, like I wouldn't know. So I think uh, that flexibility, mobility piece has always been an in- incredible part of my NFL career. If like you pull up any of the pictures and I show them, especially like when you see me in my stance, like my, like literally like my hip and the top of my leg is parallel to the ground in my stance. And I could sit down because of the reason I could look around. So, I mean, I was able to get into some positions a lot of guys weren't because I had flexibility. I trained with heavy weights and was able to be really dynamic in those ranges of motion. Just a lot of guys did. So you uh, have made a very dubious claim of being, what, 300 pounds and 8% body fat? Yeah, I was 306. At, uh, I was 282 pounds of lean muscle. Well, I was well what do you think? Body fat. you think? Can you, can you produce documentation on that? Uh, I can show you pictures. Uh, I don't think I actually have. I should have taken. So, so this is, again. well, this is pre-cell phone picture stuff. So this was like, we didn't have iPhones. So I had like BlackBerry. So I don't really have, like, I'm pretty upset because there was a lot of training, a lot of things that we could have. So, I mean, I do have some pictures from back we'll in those pull days. Up, uh, it's, it, it's a picture when he was with the Eagles. He's in the uh, three-point stance. Um, the vascularity in your arms is uh, is ridiculous. Yeah. No, uh, you, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, I, it's hard to, dude, it's hard to have that level of accelerity. What, and not what, what percentage do you think you're probably the most fit lineman? Uh, yeah, 
I, I would make that in claim. In the NFL. Yeah. yeah. I would make that claim. So when the Eagles got their new facility, I was training down in Florida at the time. Uh, the Eagles got their new facility, and they wanted to bring all, like, the media in and do, like, this, like, big, like, walkthrough yes. of the new deal. Of course. So they flew me in to do the the news demo. So, like, Rick Burkholder, who's the trainer, was like, hey, can you uh, can we fly in? Like, the, the media's coming, and we want you to do, be, like, the like the demo yes. guy going yes. through the pull-up and everything. And I kind of laughed, and I was like, okay. So I flew in. So basically and, you're a male model. For, and for, and, and yeah. then I also did it for Mark Verstegen for Athletes Performance. They had a big, like, media thing with the uh, – uh, with like the local news and all that, and they were always like, "Hey, can you do all the stuff for it?" I, th- I think there's a better one where where yeah, you're, you're, you're still, one. but yeah, I mean, so you literally had abs. There you go, yeah, that so one right there. Yeah, the you, yeah, go to the right, right there. Go, yeah, go down. Uh, go back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. Uh, no, if you go down to the left, left, go down a little bit more. Uh, let me see if there's a picture in there. Uh, go up. Is that you practicing? Yeah, go up, go up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to the right. Yeah, that one. Click on that one. So that's a pretty good one. You see a pretty good, but but you see, all right, you see the, uh, all right, do you see the position I'm sitting in? Yeah, how much so, lower you are than. Yeah, so like the top of my leg and my hips are almost below parallel. Look at the guy next to me. I'm four inches taller than him. He's 6'2", and I'm 6'6". Six, six. And he's got no, fl- uh, and, no mobility but, in but, his But look at my head. My head's like three inches below his. So, like, I could sit in that position and look around and see what was going on and had the ability to come out of my stance and generate force out of that going position. Going more up Oh, yeah. Than but I, I could, dude, I could keep, I could play out of that position where a lot of guys can't play that low. They teach guys not to do this because only a few people can. And then, obviously, you got a good bicep vein that you can see. Damn, dude, and that's against your home team. It's against the Niners. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were playing them on the. I believe that was in San Francisco. That's McNabb, right? Yeah, it's McNabb, Deuce Staley, Hank, Hank Fraley. Uh, Deuce is uh, is uh, both the, the center and the running back are uh, NFL coaches now. But I mean, you can see. I mean, I'm six six, yeah. and like that guy's six two next to me, and I'm yeah. way lower than him. And then obviously, you see, you know, you can almost see through. Uh, you can see my clavicle. Got yeah, some good muscle there. So, yeah, man, I was always in good shape. And I, I remember you saying that the transition from high school to college was worse than college to. Uh, Oh, to the NFL. It was because it was the Dude. speed of it. Well, it was just the maturity. Like I'm 18 years old. I don't own a razor. So when I went to college, uh, I remember my roommates like, hey, uh, like, where's your like, because, you know, you like put your toothbrush out in there. He's like, how come I haven't seen a razor? Because like, I don't own one. So I went to 18. I grew from 6'4 to 6, just under 6'6 six, six when I was in college. So I showed up as a freshman. I was 6'4. And then by the I time I, I got, I was 21, I was 6'6. Uh, six, six. All four years at Cal? Uh, five years. Five years. Yeah, I registered that first year, thank God. Just because I was physically not ready. Like it, like it took, like these guys, like I showed up, these dudes had chest hair and beards. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't even own a razor. So I, I was physically just kind of a late developer, but I grew yeah. early. So they were able to invest. But uh, no, I mean, it took me. So I think showing up and playing with like 23 year old grown men when you're like a kid is a lot different than being 24, 25, playing against 35, 30-year-old men. Like, that was not – I mean, I came in and started as a rookie. There's no way I could have started as a rookie in the NFL or did in uh, college. Do you see the uh, the documentary on uh, Johnny Manziel? I have not. You've got to go watch it. But this. I'm not surprised uh, on on uh, some of his, like, absolute insanity. Oh, so there is definitely some mental – Mental illness. Yes, there, but uh, it, it I, does show – I kind of hate shit like this. Because it, it paints people like me in a weird light. 
right? Because like, you know, I'm sure like you, you know, some, uh, some seal goes and swallows his gun or, you know, goes on a high speed chase and kills himself. And then everybody thinks, oh, all these seals are this way. Or, you know, you you guys are all broke in and these guys and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that guy was, you know, Menzel, um, you know, incredible, you know, Johnny football, what he did and all that. But I mean, he was a shitty NFL player. He was a great college player and he won the Heisman and all these other things. He was a terrible NFL player. I, I think it does prove a point. Like there is, there is value in staying in college for four years and oh. maturing, especially with, with what he going on. But here, here's the interesting thing. And I, and go watch it. I think you'll, you'll laugh. So donations for Texas A&M went from like $300 million a year to basically $800 million a year the year yeah. he won the Heisman as a freshman. And it does. I, I do. I, I don't know your opinion, but with the NIL, mm. dude, for these guys sacrificing their bodies, and, yeah. and I know you're probably conflicted because you didn't have it. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I would have been happy with just full training table. You could have paid three meals for me because our scholarship check, we were like below the poverty line. Like we were struggling to eat. I remember, um, you know, whenever recruits would come, like, like if you were the reason you would host was they would take you out to dinner and get to eat meals. I remember like showing up to be like a plus one and them being like, you can't eat. It's a, it's a violation. And I'm like, yeah, but there's all this food. It's a buffet. Like we could all eat. And they're like, no, you can't eat. It's a violation. You have to go. Yeah, and then kicking us out of like a full deal. And we're like scholarship players and they, they won't even give us a free meal. Like it was, it's fucking bullshit. And you know what? The NIL thing, um, I personally think the Peyton or um, uh, old man Manning did it smart where he basically took all the, all the, all the money they were paying the kid put it in uh, an account and it's like that money will be there, but he's not going to have access to this money. Yes. We'll, we'll give him enough to live, but he's not driving in a fucking Lamborghini. Yeah. And uh, I, I really think that the, the pressure of college and that, and like that struggle, like there's no way to like, was it good? Yes. I think you have to go through that struggle. It's, a little it, bit. it's building adversity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm nervous when we don't have adversity or struggle because a lot of these kids are going to make, probably more money in college than they'll ever make in the NFL because the NFL is such a small little, like it's like showing up to a party and your name is probably not on the list. Like everybody gets invited and they're going to show up and be like, yeah, you're not on the list and you get to go. Or you might even get into the party and somebody taps you on the shore after 10 minutes and it's like, you got to go. And uh, very few people are going to get that opportunity, but there's a lot of opportunity for these kids to get paid in college. And I think that they should. The schools are making so much money, and the and the NCAA, the way they treated, if they would have just paid players and not let it like force us below the poverty line, none of this would have happened. So my displeasure with higher education, they don't need any money because uh, we won't get into the indoctrinization that indoctrinization that's going on um, within higher education. But you know, you could create a system where if a student gets X amount of money, sixty percent or maybe even higher. 70% is going into yeah, an account sure. for which they can have access when they graduate. Yeah, 100%. The rest they can utilize for I, cost of living. And I think uh, had, they, they got to put some of these plays in because these people are investing a ton amount of money. Um, but then the other issue comes down to if you do this, then the schools have the ability on the other side. If you're not – like let's say they pay you all this money and you know do, donors do this and you're getting a scholarship and you don't produce. They have the ability to be like, you're out. We'll, get, yeah. we'll take your scholarship. Yes. Yeah. And they should be able to cut players. Like as, as quick as players are moving around, the coaches should be able to voluntarily put these kids into their own portal and be like, "You're, dude, you suck. You're going in your own portal." I, the tra- the transfer them. portal. I, I don't agree with it because no, you're just either. giving people an easy out. Or what you do is you allow them to do it once in a career transfer one time. 
Who right, is because it? they have endless transfer portals. Yes. I would say, you know what? Everybody's granted the right to transfer one time. So only use it if you really have to. So these kids show up as freshmen. And here's the deal. I didn't expect to play as a freshman. Dude, these guys were like 6'5", 300 pounds. They had hairy chests. They had beards. And they benched 500 pounds. I like show up without a razor. And I'm like looking at these dudes. And I'm like, you know. And then these kids are like, I'm, I'm mad. I'm leaving. I'm not playing. There was no way I would have played me. Even in my second year. Like after I'd already had a year to mature, like I played, like I probably shouldn't have been playing. It wasn't until like my third year where all of a sudden now I'm 20 years old. I've been in the program. I lifted. I know what it takes to do it. Like now all of a sudden I'm ready. And then in that fourth and that fifth year, like those last three years, I was physically ready. Kids going in and being like, yeah, I'm not playing as a freshman. I'm transferring out. Dude. Which I get. That's that's the competitive nature. They want to be, they want to be on the field. Well, the problem is people I have a, like, <clears throat> like they – their perception of reality is really far off. An inflated view, uh, Dude, I've, I've done this. I've, I've had many people reach out to me and said, hey, you know, uh, can this kid come in and train with you or could you put him through an assessment or just at least train with him a little bit and let me know if he has it. And I'm like, the fact that you're asking me this tells the story. You can send him out and I'll put, and I'll, dude, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you whether or not he can play or not. Like we had a kid, uh, a friend of ours was like, hey, uh, my best friend from high school, son's a pretty good football player. He's like 15 years old, can't even drive yet. Um, can he come train with you guys and like, just help him a little bit and like, know like what he should do. Right. Cause like, I think the dad, um, hadn't played football. So didn't know how to mentor him. So I was like, yeah, bring him up. She's like, what time do you guys train? I'm like, we train at 7am. The mom like drove up from Winderley, got a hotel room the night before. Cause she was so nervous. She'd be late. Shows up there right there. Kid comes in. The kid's like six, three, like 15 years old. Um, like probably 175, 180 pounds, like good looking kid. Like physically, like you looked at him and like the shoulders were wide and square. He got down in his stance and I was like, we did that. We did a few things and I was like, dude, let me talk. To, and I just talked to the mom. I talked to the kid. I'm like, here's what you're going to tell coaches. You're going to take them to all these camps. And when they start talking to you, this is what you're going to say. So I, I gave him like three lists of names. I want you to like look up. I want you to look up Howie Long. I want you to look up this. And I gave him all these different players to look up. And so when, because the first question they're going to ask you is like, what kind of player do you think you are? Who do, like, who do you watch? Who do you emulate? And uh, so I gave him like three players to watch and I pretty much wrote him out this script. So the kid goes and I'm like, here's how I want you to do your stance to look. This is what I want you to do. This is, you know, I just basically prepped him all the shit that no college coach think that a 15 or 16 year old kid would know. He went to every one of these camps, every one of those camps offered him. Every one of those camps were like, like heads were blown on this kid. And the mom came back. She's like, how did you know? And I'm like, cause I know. And I know what to say because I've been there. I know what they're looking for. And this kid has it. I can tell you within a minute. We had another kid. I show up. I'm like, uh, he might be a D, you know, look for a Division One, Division Three, or uh, Division Two, II, Division Three school. Uh, but like, let him go have a good experience yeah. if he can play. Team. Yeah. So I, I, I really think, and not to say that like I would have been, you know, in high school, somebody thought I was going to play in the NFL, but I think you start on a, on a progression. And as long as you continue to do better, each time and you keep moving up it, like all of a sudden you put yourself in a position and then all of a sudden, like I got to the point where I actually thought playing in the NFL was easier than college football. I liked huh. the game better. It was faster. Uh, it fit more to my skill set. I liked the NFL game better than I did the college and game. You could think. You well, could outthink me. But, but it, was, it was slow to me. The college game was really slow. The NFL game was really fast, and it just worked with the way my brain worked. I, I will. I tell you to pull up the video where he knocks the guy down, and then as the guy gets back up, you oh. him again. <laughs> yeah, it's just poor. Poor sportsmanship. I'm, not, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, where, where can people find you? So powerathletehq.com. Was powerathlete.com taken? Uh, powerathlete, uh, powerathlete.com. The guy's been squatting on it for years. I, I hate these. And and I've tried, to, I've tried to buy it numerous times. And now he's racking up the prices. Uh, he, he wants six and seven figures for it. 
so we have power athlete hq and we also use power athlete Inc. And, and other stuff but you know here's the deal i can either one day i'll get it you know why because i'm i'm patient patient and I'll, I'll eventually get it but uh if you put in john walburn into social it's all my social and it's power athlete if you put that in um uh, that's me so there's somebody so we've got the trademark for everyday warrior for purposes of education podcast radio everything else but somebody's squatting on it for apparel with no intent to do anything about it. Well, and the guy's a nice guy. He had great intent. And I tell people, and I, I've told the guy, here's the deal. Like, nobody can ever buy this because they can't ever use it. I own it in every class. So, like, you can either sell it to me, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something with it. And, like. That's what this guy keeps saying. And yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, all right, that's fine. I'm going to keep living my life, but eventually it'll come back around. Good. Yeah. Guys, go follow John. Um, again, we're going to stand back up the uh, the live sessions, but we're going to start doing a lot, uh, lot more. Um, we've been in a holding pattern. Uh, for well, well, we got we some adventures. Oh, we've got some adventures. We got Drop Zone Moab, which I'm pretty um, excited about. We've got to see if we can tandem you in. Uh, the weight is 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 the I mean factor. Dude, uh, find me the weight. If I got a diet, I'll diet. I think I'm, I was 272 today. So if I could, I could lose another 10 or 15. If I could be like in like the low 260s. So I've got I've got to ask Nick and Boots the weights on a standard tandem rig, but I think they got to get the tandem heavy for you. Which exists, so mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. But we got to get you on a 360 solo because mm. our mutual friend, he's 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 not as tall as you, but wait, I mean he's jumping combat equipment, so you got to be yeah. in the same uh, frame. And even if somebody else has to jump in your your pack, we we can do that. That's that's normal. Um, but we've got some good adventures. I think uh, we've got to lock in with Shine Down to go work out with them in yeah. uh, in December. Yeah, and then um, what was we, good is for Power Athlete Radio. I I have banked. The entire year of Power Athlete Radio, so we powered it, and I've so pretty you've much got a, you've got one full year every week into the future. Yeah, into the future, and you, so we we banked it uh, through January. So I'm you, I'm done through January. So you're not doing any podcast until then, uh, unless they're in person. I'll only do in person. So if I have somebody like you know we had Sully come in, yeah, uh, I, I had Mark Ripto, David Weck came in. Uh, I'm supposed to go up and do Rip's podcast, who you mentioned uh, up at Starting Strength in Wichita Falls in the next couple of weeks. So like if people come in. Like, um, you know, or, you know, somebody wants to do an in-person yeah. podcast, I'm done with doing Zoom for 2023. So it's, it's really just kind of opened up a ton of time for me in terms of being able to go do different adventures. And, you know, this week, uh, Friday, I leave to go to Vegas for the IBJJF. Um, it's called the, uh, the Grand Prix Victor's yes. Fighting on Friday night. No kidding. Yeah. Is so ready? It's, it's, uh, it's probably the best he's ever looked. No kidding. And the healthiest he's ever been. Stronger. Yeah. He's stronger. He's, he's the big, he's the, the best he's ever been. So he has no injury, and uh, this is the best at jujitsu. At least that's what the guys have been telling me. Shanji's been telling me, but he's in a sixteen-man shootout for forty grand. So he's in one side of the bracket. If he if he wins three matches, he wins. So he's got two, and then he's got the finals if he wins. So he's going against some guys that he's fought many times, and uh, it'll be good for him. But this version of Victor Hugo, nobody's seen. Does he do anything different with his diet going into it? Uh, we always, you know, he's protein heavy. Um, I, you know, I was fighting him kind of early on he's still got a little bit of like this is just his age he's got a little bit of complexion issues so when i see somebody's got a little bit of break in complexion i usually cut dairy and kind of back the carb off a little bit so he really early on we did a real high protein kind of like every four days he'd do a carb refeed kind of uh, anabolic uh anabolic yeah. diet yeah, yeah helped him completely remodel uh he felt he needed a little more carb so i've been battling him on it but um, at the end of the day i'm not going to micromanage everything but if I see any breakout, I'm like, dude, got the dairy. And then and then we tried him some different protein powders. Finally found him one that wasn't breaking. But he gets a little bit of he's, – he's too old to be getting breakouts. Yeah. 
And if you're 40, you know, 25 years old and you're still getting, and you get breakouts, it's usually from the dairy. Yeah. So, and it's because, you know, here in Texas, we don't do raw dairy and, you know, pasteurized, all this stuff is kind of bullshit. So, um, for him, I'm like, just don't do it. We're all going to die cancer. Well, uh, probably. I mean, if you look at all the environmental shit we got going on, I mean, it's 100%. So, I mean, I was Tom Inkledon and I just, we were out in Arizona and he's like, do the environmental stuff. Like he showed me one clip and it was like some environmental toxin that like the acceptable rates, like one part per like 200,000 mil uh, parts, right? Whatever. And we're at. Uh, he had a client that was at a hundred thousand per, per 200, per 200,000. So he was at a one to two ratio and the acceptable rate is like one part to 200,000. And, and he's has like, come down with cancer. Uh, yeah. Okay. And he's like, you know, this is, we're seeing younger and younger, healthier people coming down with cancer than we've ever seen. And it's environmental, it's BPAs, it's, uh, um, you know, the, uh, the glycophosphates and all this and like, whether or not you're like, Oh, tinfoil. No, no. Like we knew back in the seventies that shit caused cancer. You go. And like, when you see a container that says may cause cancer was because there was a study where it did cause cancer and they just put may on there. So, I mean, you know, it's a real problem. Yeah. And, and then you think about like, you know, Oh, you know, we live in a pretty good place, but what about the clouds? Right. So let's say you have something and all of a sudden it burns up, it gets in the clouds, it floats over and now it drops on us. Right. Because they found people that were infected, they found high levels of things that weren't anywhere in the environment other than on the other side of the world. And their only explanation is clouds. And like, I mean, it, we're in a weird, weird deal. We, we are. Uh, you know, it said may cause cancer on my uh, Copenhagen can, but I continue <laughs> to do that for 19 years. Uh, and and uh, if I get it, there's I've got good... no one else to blame but myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, Marine Corps. That's awesome. All right, guys, we will literally keep on talking if we don't stop this. Yeah. That's We have that tendency. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, sir.